0: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to try to answer some questions that have come from the network. If uh, people want to be a part of the network, go to Preparing You and click on the network links, or go to HisHolyChurch.org and click on the network links and join the network. Uh, Some of the questions even come from what we call the Living Network, which is more than just email groups, but if you want to be a part of that, you're going to have to take other steps, but the first step is to join the network, and uh, that's just like it sounds. It's a network of email groups based on geography, and you join them, and you come into contact with other people. Hopefully, those people are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, because that is a critical element element of the gospel of the kingdom. John the Baptist said it, Jesus said it, the apostles were constantly offering that opportunity of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And uh, that's really what the gospel is all about. A lot of people think Jesus died for me. He died that ye might be saved. You can't be saved unless you repent. If you don't repent, You're like the foolish virgins who the door is shut on and they are not allowed in, which is a part of uh, several of the parables of Christ. So anyway, we're going to try to answer some of the questions that have come up this week and some of the uh, uh, comments that have come in relationship to those questions, and we're going to try to answer them and bring them all together into one um, show or two. Uh, It may take a couple hours to get through this, depending on how far in depth that we want to go. Um, I could start with a question, and I'll come back to that probably uh, several times. Someone uh, wrote on Facebook, wait, wait, uh, how do these two positions make sense? And the first position is, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God. God's, uh, God owns everything, so we owe Caesar nothing. So anyway, that's a position that some people have, but that isn't the truth. Uh, God goes, owns everything in in one sense, but he also has entrusted man with some things, and some of those things man has a right to choose over those things. Now man can give that right to choose to somebody else, including Caesar. And that's his option. It isn't necessarily wise, but it's certainly his option. And because we are not self-generating, we inherit some of our rights. If uh, you could inherit tremendous amount of wealth, or you could inherit absolutely no wealth, you could inherit actually obligation. There's no reason why you would not inherit an obligation when you're born. Uh, This is somebody else posted something that I saw that actually is related to this idea where some 13-year-old boy was uh, demanding this and demanding that of his parents. uh, He was saying that uh, because the mother was taking certain things away from the boy, uh, he was going to buy them for himself because he was earning money now. He evidently had some sort of a job. Well, the mother wrote him a note telling him that, well... Okay, since you have a job now, you can start contributing your share, which is so much rent, so much for food, so much for electricity, etc., etc. Well, he wasn't making that much money. So anyway, the reality is, is that uh, it isn't just our parents that we are dependent upon. You eat at your parents' table and your parents get to tell you what to do. You are under obligation because you are not carrying your own weight. When you suddenly get to be 17, 18, 19, 20 years old and you start carrying your own weight, well, what what do you do with the, the years before that? You're already in debt. You're in debt to your parents. And so, of course, there's actual commandment that, you know, to honor your father and your mother, and that word honor, as I've mentioned many times before, is the same word for fatten. It has to do with giving an increase of whatever you're earning in your life to your parents to take care of your parents so that your days will be long upon the land. And that's an explanation of what that commandment is all about. You have to pay back to your parents. And you are born in debt. You owe your parents. But you're also... If your parents owe somebody else, then you may owe somebody else as well. (laughs) So anyway, if you eat at the table of kings, you should put a knife to your throat, for he serves deceitful dainties. Why? Because he's a king, he's a ruler. He's someone who exercises authority one over the other. So anyway, the fact is is that, yeah, God owns everything, but he has given us stuff to see what we do with it, and we have made a mess because... It's one thing owning your parents, but when the state becomes your father, then you owe the state. You owe Caesar. And that's what Caesar was called. He was called Patronus, which means our father who art in Rome. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom comes when thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason why is because you pray to Caesar to give us your daily bread, to take care of my parents, to give me free education, All these things create an obligation to Caesar, to the rulers of the earth, to the fathers of the earth. And that's why you have to give to Caesar because he's your daddy, he's taking care of you, he's providing security for you, he's even taking care of your parents for you so you don't have to bother with it, so that you can do no more ought for your parents. Somebody in Idaho had joined our group, and we were trying to explain this to him. I haven't heard a word from him since, but he didn't like what he was hearing because it was kind of pointing out that he isn't quite as free man on the land as he might have thought he was, because he wasn't taking care of his parents. Many of the people who go around talking about you know being free and you know a sovereign or whatever, they don't even take care of their own family, much less their parents. So there's no way on earth that these people are really free. This is all in their imagination. But imagination is a powerful tool. And that idea of being empowered by our own imagination is a form of trauma, and we'll talk about that later. second thing that this individual, the second position that this individual brought up, was uh, the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and offered them to Jesus how can he make an offer like this if God owns everything? Do the kingdoms of the world uh, not belong to God then? Anyway, he says, I remember seeing elsewhere or reading elsewhere that all the kingdoms of the world belong to God. You know, well, you know, what are we talking about? When we use this word world and we point out that there are four, five, six different words that are in the Bible that could all be translated world and so people are throwing around these words and aren't even looking them up it's like the people who are talking about money that money is evil they want to say money itself is evil well what's money what what are we going to define as money Uh, there's all kinds of money all money all forms of money are evil money doesn't do anything it just sits there Well, that's not really true. Federal Reserve notes, they may sit there, but they're accumulating interest. (laughs) But we use Federal Reserve, it's a debt note. The Federal Reserve note is a debt note. But we use it as if it is money. Money, by theory, has some sort of value. Well, value in relationship to what? Value in a marketplace? You can actually go down to the store and... Give them paper notes that are debt notes, and they will give you stuff. <laughs> well, you're using debt notes as if it was money of value. So there's all kinds of different kinds of money. So they're making these blanket statements that people, you know, money is evil. And then even though these people are aware of the fact that it says the love of money is the root of all evil, it doesn't say money is. And, and they said, when did God ever tell us to have money or use money? Well, there's all kinds of places in the Bible. And I pointed out a few to the individual saying that. And then he just skips over that and heads off to another argument. Because the fact is, Jesus told the apostles to take money with them, take their purse with them. Moses told people to put your purse on your your own uh, waste and carry your own money. Be responsible for your own money. Don't keep putting it in no golden calf, which was nothing more than a central bank, which we show and explain, give you examples of that in history and other cultures. But people just want to pass over that because they want to believe that what they know already is true. And we're constantly tapping people on the shoulder and saying, you know, what you believe ain't so and you know it's like Mark Twain He said it's not so much what you uh, don't know that will hurt you but what you absolutely know for sure is true that just ain't so <laughs> that's what's going to hurt you so we're always ta- attacking the delusion something we're always told never to do but anyway the word world there Jesus' kingdom was not of this world we think it's not on this planet but the word they use there has to do with a constitutional order or system of government. And he was saying it to Pontius Pilate, and he's saying to Pilate, My kingdom's not of this world. Why? Because Pilate's trying to sit in the judgment seat to judge him as if he was a part of the world of Pilate, the constitutional order or system of government. But Jesus is saying, You ain't got no jurisdiction. Because my kingdom's not of this world. He's not saying it's not at at hand. He's been saying it's at hand all along. He was declared the king of that kingdom. But how does that kingdom work? I mean, you're supposed to be seeking it. So how do you know you're actually seeking it if you don't even know how the kingdom works or what the kingdom looks like? So anyway, I shared with the the little group that was uh, talking about these things, an article on world what what does he mean when he says the kingdoms of the world because Jesus's kingdom is not of that world that he was talking about well the all the systems that men create to exercise authority one over the other are kingdoms of the world kingdom of god is a kingdom also, but it's not where you exercise authority one over the other. You're forbidden by Jesus to exercise authority one over the other. You're also warned by Jesus not to take oaths. You're warned by Jesus not to pray to benefactors who exercise authority one over the other, but to pray to your Father in heaven. You're also told to come together in love, to love one another, to take care of one another. Take, certainly take care of your parents, but also to take care of your neighbor To go because you're supposed to love your neighbor and even love your enemy. These are what he told you to do. Are you doing that? No, you are not doing that. Yet you call yourself a Christian. It's, it's absolutely amazing, such hypocrisy. So I also pointed out somebody pointed out there are two kingdoms, and of course I have an article which is part of a chapter of a book called Two Kingdoms, and I I shared with them that, and then also I shared with them an article on what the kingdom is. I mean Jesus says I'm going to take the kingdom away from this group over here, who evidently have access to the kingdom. They sit in the seat of Moses. He talks about that. And he says, I'm going to give it to another group that's going to bear fruit, which he did. He says, I appoint unto you a kingdom. But you're not to be like the benefactors, you know, the rulers of the other nations who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Well, see, that's what the Pharisees were doing, is they were sitting in the seat of Moses, but they were beginning to exercise authority. They had set up a system where they had forced contributions instead of free will offerings to support the government. It allowed Herod to build a big golden temple because he was telling everybody to break off their gold and give to me, and I will put it in the temple, and the temple will be your social welfare. And if you follow Jesus, eventually we're told by the Pharisees, made a proclamation, that if you get the baptism of Jesus instead of the baptism of the Pharisees, you are going to be cast out of their social welfare system. But lo and behold, they, they, he cast the money changers out who were the porters of the temple who received the donations of the people and take their little clip and he cast them out of the temple and they said, we got to get rid of this guy because he's hurting business. So they tried to kill him, but then he raises from the dead and the apostles are appointed the kingdom and they're, according to the Bible, working daily in that government temple Rightly dividing the bread from house to house. How are they doing this? You people are not putting it together. You think you already know. You don't already know. So, why is it so hard to figure out? Because he's telling you covetous practices will make you merchandise, covetous practices will curse your children, will again entangle you in the elements of the world. What world? That constitutional order and system of government where you don't have the right to choose whether you give to Caesar or not. Because, see, Christians, they could give their tax money to the apostles and to the ministers they looked out amongst themselves and chose themselves. And those ministers had been instructed to write down paid in full. So if you became a Christian, you paid your taxes to the church. And they were not allowed to exercise authority one over the other, so they could not force that contribution. So there you had an anarchical society with nobody ruling over you, forcing your contributions, yet providing social welfare in what James calls pure religion. Now there may be some other taxes you had to pay, but there was a lot of funds that you no longer paid to Caesar's, You no longer paid to Pharisees, you paid to the church. And no matter how much you paid, we marked down paid in full. Of course, if you didn't give anything, we couldn't help you out. So now you, you have to realize that that was the kingdom of God. And the church was the servants of that kingdom. And they did not exercise authority over you, but they provided you with the social welfare you now get from men who do exercise authority. I mean, I, I can't imagine how many guys who went to public school and think they don't owe the government anything. They think the government's an outlaw. They're the outlaw. They said, well, that we were forced to go to public school. Well, so? <laughs> You're not in this country. There's only a couple countries that don't allow homeschooling. Your parents' covetous practices have made you merchandise and have cursed you with the debt to Caesar. So shut up and pay it. <laughs> but change your thinking. Turn around. Now let's go the other way. Let's go the way of the early church and the ways of Christ, which was setting men free. That's what you should be doing. So anyway, I I came across another article which will tie into what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about things like the Illuminati and the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons and all that sort of thing. But before we get into that, so that you actually understand what's going on when you're concerned about these things, uh, we're going to take a look at something else, an article that was published. And actually there's been a number of studies over the years you know, that uh, there is a phenomena that takes place. And we're going to tie it in with the people who think that money is evil too. And this article says, subjects under the influence of power, Uh, according to this uh, Dr. Keltner, who is a professor at the University of California in Berkeley, uh, people who were under the influence of power acted as if they had suffered a traumatic brain injury. They became more impulsive, less risk-aware, ta- uh, uh, risk and crucially, less adapt at seeing things from other people's point of view. One of the greatest coups of last century was Uh, Noriega in Panama pulled off one of the biggest, most uh, amazing land deals uh, in that century. The Panama Canal was built on leased land. It's probably some of the most valuable real estate in the entire American hemispheres. Well back in the seventies as a result of things that we did back in the thirties and back in the twenties and back in nineteen sixteen and nineteen thirteen. If you understood history, actually, you know, I mean you see these people on college campuses interviewing kids saying who fought in the Civil War and they don't even they don't even know who fought in the Civil War. They don't know who won the Civil War. And these are students going to college You know, born and raised in America and they don't even know who was fighting in the Civil War. These people have no concept of history whatsoever. They don't know how we got to where we're at, Uh, you know, they know who the Kardashians were and all these kinds of things and who Brad Pitt was married to, but they did not even know who fought in the Civil War or who won it. Just absolutely astounding. Just shocking, uh, you know. I, I was asking little kids that in, in our family, and uh, you know, some of my grandchildren—they knew. Here's college students who don't even know. Wow, and and that's that's the fundamentals of history now to know the in, the the intricate workings of history, how we get to where we're really at, what's really the moving factors in history. Most college professors don't even know. So anyway, we, we have this, this idea of uh, this progression of events in history that brings us up to a point and we got somebody like Noriega who works this land deal with Kissinger actually flew down to work this deal out where he got to own, his country got to own, as a sovereign country, the Panama Canal. Everybody was against him owning the Panama Canal. But yet we went down there and they ended up owning the Panama Canal. Now they don't own it anymore. Because Panama's not a sovereign nation anymore. Oh, it'll call itself a sovereign nation, but it's not really a sovereign nation. What happened? What was really going on? What was really... Why did we end up invading Panama? What was the orchestrated events that caused our military to fly down and invade Panama and turn a sovereign nation into a conquered nation? And then what did we do when we got there? What did, what did people do in East Timor? Same thing. What they do in Iraq? Same thing. People have no idea what's moving the record of history right before our eyes. And I'm not even going to tell you because there's no point in it. But I am going to tell you how your brain works and how they manipulate your thinking and how you have been traumatized by the lies of the world and then we can maybe start setting you free and we'll have to do it when we come back the keys of the kingdom it mean subjects under the influence of power? Because this uh, uh, Keltner, this professor, sees that the people that are under this influence of power appear to be acting as if they have suffered a traumatic brain injury. He's seeing the same symptoms of a traumatic brain injury. Well, influence of power, what he's talking about is someone who has been given power. Someone might think influence of power has to do with being under the power of others. But what it actually means is being under the power of power. Under the influence of having power over others. And I mean there's studies go way back, there's all kinds of studies you can quote where, you know, they they put people in the position of guards at a prison. And they get this power, this surge of, I have power over this prisoner. And they they do the same thing with people in white coats uh, who, you know, go through, they set up this whole scenario where you're going to have power over these other people, and they see how the individual, like, gets carried away with that power. I mean, and does unbelievable stuff that they would never do otherwise, but they've been given power, and it's like like they were kicked in the head. <laughs> he says, in other words, power turns people into sociopaths. When you give them power, and now you can give them power in a lot of different ways. Now this is, now, I'm going to give you some real secrets here, <laughs> secrets of the universe. That when you give somebody power, And you can do this by giving them money. You give them a lot of money. You know, like they win the lottery. They have a lot of power now because they have a lot of money. They can do all kinds of things. Judgment seems to go out the window a lot of times. They become more impulsive. Less aware of the risks of what they do. Uh, They become increasingly less adept at seeing things from other people's point of view. It literally cuts them off from this thing we call empathy, compassion for other people. You just just become ignorant of other people. This is one of the amazing things about Donald Trump. And and I'm not an advocate of Donald Trump, I'm not going to be, I don't think he's my salvation in any way, shape, or form. And I'm going to correlate this to Jesus Christ to show you the difference. But here's a guy who was born rich with all kinds of power, he could have almost anything he wanted. I mean, it's just ridiculous how much wealth he was showered with by his parents who gave him all this wealth and power and control. I mean, that's a tremendous temptation to corrupt you. And of course, if you look at the history of his life, he has been corrupted. He has done things he probably should have never, ever done. (laughs) He has also been a very amazingly generous person over his life. He's done all kinds of things. People always talk about him being a racist, but he actually took his own money and took uh, country clubs to court because they were excluding blacks and Jews from their membership. He fought against that long before he had any political aspirations. Now, he may have some prejudice in him, but he's he's really, generally speaking, he doesn't fit the bill of a racist in any way, shape, or form, but people like to call him that, you know, because they fear him. They fear something about him. He's just like loose cannon going around. But the point is is that he had temptations you don't have. This wealth is a temptation because this wealth is power. And when the, when the devil... Came to Jesus, what did he offer him? Power over the kingdoms of the world. And people say, well, see, look, the kingdoms of the world, the governments of the world belong to Satan because he's offered. The kingdoms of the world belong to Satan, but not all the kingdoms on the planet belong to Satan. Because the word world there doesn't mean planet, it means constitutional order and system of government. Where men decide to exercise authority one over the other have power one over the other you know like a democracy where 51% of the people can have power over the other 49 that democracy is suffering traumatic brain injury <laughs> they are going they're going to become more impulsive i mean just go to the elections and watch what goes on at the conventions etc these people are all suffering under a brain injury, a trauma that has taken place because they have the power to pick the new candidate for their office. Would Jesus go to there and become a delegate to, to the election? Because that would be somebody who could exercise power. And Jesus turned down power. He didn't want power. He didn't want to control others. He wanted others to find the control of the Holy Spirit. In order to do that, they had to become humble, forgiving, giving. It changes you. It heals the trauma that you have suffered. Here, like I said, I was going to tell you real secrets to the universe. Husband and wife relationship, man and woman. Let's just call it man and woman relationship that's about power the woman the frail weak woman looks up to her strong manly husband at least in courtship she does <laughs> she makes him feel like a man makes him feel strong she gives him power i mean the whole the, the whole uh physical Structure of the man-woman relationship is a power struggle. Who has the power? Who has the influence? It's a drug (laughs) in which you will suffer a traumatic brain injury (laughs) because the woman gives the man power, or at least a feeling of power, a sense of power. But because she can do this, and influence the man she knows she has power that <laughs> she's drugged by that power, then you it builds in hormones for the procreation of the species, and you got all kinds of power just zooming around in that relationship. It's amazing that you can figure anything out, but the these same processes work all the time employee employer relationships, you know um. Getting a loan from a bank—all these things are influencing you in your brain and how your brain is working. It talks about uh, in an article that appeared in the Atlantic. Uh, power causes brain damage is the title of the uh, article. It likens the occurring of power to actual brain trauma. Now this this is a separate article, but anyway. It says, uh, at least the, the, the one individual who was uh, quoted in that article says, My own research has found that people with power tend to behave like patients who have damaged their brains in the orbital frontal lobe, the region of the frontal lobe right behind the eye sockets itself a condition that seems to cause overly impulsive and insensitive behavior. You women, talk about your boyfriend. He's so insensitive. (laughs) You've brain damaged him. (laughs) You've kicked him in the head. Of course he's going to be insensitive. You created this Frankenstein monster. I mean, he may have had those tendencies to begin with, but you accentuated that process. Because you gave him power. Don't be giving your boyfriend's power. Don't even, this is why you shouldn't be dating. Because you start the process as soon as you're dating. You're empowering him. And that power is corrupting him. And then you're surprised at how corrupt he is. You know, these ideas of, you know, uh, staying back and not, you know, not intermingling this, relationship of man and woman Uh, early, you know, in this dating process, but, you know, you're more aloof, you're chaperoned, you're you're back here, he's got to come and court you, that's not giving him power, that's making him take back responsibilities of creating a relationship. I mean, all these things are influencing you. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that all these things can be overcome by love. But love is not passion. Love has to do with compassion. And if it's going to be the love of Christ, it has to be a righteous love. It it goes on to say, Thus the experience of power might be thought uh, thought of as having someone open up your skull and take out that part of your brain so critical to empathy and socially appropriate behavior. So he's saying you, 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 it's like a lobotomy. You're cutting off a part of your brain that is necessary for certain empathetic decision making processes by giving somebody power. And so. Th- here, you know, I just related it with dating, but you can go back to relating it with politics. Go back to relating it to the employer-employee relationship. I've actually seen employers where somebody comes in and they are they they are self-assured. Uh, they are they're kind of confident in who they are. You know, they didn't go through public school and they weren't beat down. Uh, by the oppressive nature of public school, which takes all power away from you. I mean, people don't realize what they do when they send their kids to public school. They don't understand the processes. Once you begin to see things in the spirit, you actually see the influence taking place over the minds of the people from day one. I mean, it's, it's so seductive. It's it's just amazing. You have no idea. Most people have no idea the processes that are going on there, taking that power away. You you get drafted in the Army. What do they do? Shave your hair off. Why? They're taking your power away from you. Now, they will give you power back, but it will come back to you like, you know, little dog biscuits, you know. You perform, in this way they give you power. You do what I say, you run down here, you do a push up over here, you you march in cadence over here, I give you I give you power. I give you a biscuit. That's what they're doing. They're training you. They're training your mind to think a particular way. So how do we train ourselves back? How how do we Well you don't want power. If you don't want power over others. Now, what kind, what form does this power come in? You know, I mean, it it's, it comes in all kinds of different forms. Preachers have power over people in churches because those people have given that preacher power. They have put him up on a pedestal. He's a preacher. He's a reverend. He's a priest. They give him power. Surprise more. Priests don't molest children, which is all about what? Power. It's actually power driven by guilt. Where did the guilt come from? You, the the parishioners, gave that priest power over you. And they feel guilty about this, and now they want power over someone else. Now, it's all about this. But Jesus was tempted by... There were three different, we won't go into it, we've gone into it before. If you become a regular listener or go back in our archives, our huge archives, you can probably find it if you want to help us organize those archives with keywords so that people can search where we talk about these things, like the temptations of Jesus. Why three different temptations? What What's that really all about? If you really understood what that was all about, Okay, anyway, we're reconnected. So this this idea of power, somebody cut off our power there. <laughs> so anyway, the, this disconnection, and that that's an interesting point that just happened where we were disconnected and now we've been reconnected again. This is what happens when someone offers you power. And they, that power comes in many forms. Like I said, it could be money. It could be a position in a company it could be a politician who wins an office it could be a guy dating a girl who you know looks up to him he he's got she gives him power sometimes power over herself maybe too much power over herself he becomes more full of himself what he's actually doing is suffering trauma and he's going she's going to make him the jerk <laughs> That he was already maybe on the road to becoming, and she won't even know that she's a part of that process because she's giving power where she should give no power. She's traumatizing him. She's she's lobotomizing him from his compassion. You know, like uh, I knew somebody who was going to get married and they had a little bit of debt. a little time. Actually, I know several people. This I've given the same advice in different forms. Where one of the one of the parties had some debt, either school loans or uh, you know they bought a big fancy truck or or whatever they were in debt. One of the parties was in debt. Well, now when they get married, they're both going to be in debt. <laughs> so I said, okay, you can get married. That's fine, but first work to get each other out of debt so that you have no debt. Now, they were going to have debt on a house, but that was an asset, that's a kind of a separate debt. But I'm talking about credit card debt and all that kind of debt. Now, it would be good to get out of all debt, but at least get out of that, that uh, unnecessary debt, you know, school loans, etc. And it would have taken them, what, six months maybe, they're both working, they could have got out of debt. Maybe it would have taken a year. Not that long of an engagement. But they chose not to. Uh, Not in every case, but at least in several cases I'm thinking of. And that came back to haunt them for a long time. And I tell you that if they had taken the energy and the commitment and the sacrifice required to work together without being together, they would have been more appreciative of their relationship, they would have been more appreciative of the idea of being out of debt, and they wouldn't have had the bumps and grinds that they had. Now, they overcame most of those bumps and grinds. Some of them did. Some of them didn't do as well. but. There's a reason why to go through that process. It's not to be mean to them or make them wait. It's to go through a certain process. And this is, this is the same thing with dating and everything else. But now we're going to we're gonna tie this in with things like the Illuminati, Christians, Freemasons, and all this. We had a guy from Idaho. He's blaming everything on the Freemasons. They're keeping from getting a job. They get them fired. They do all this kind of stuff. Sounds a little paranoid, but the re- reality is is that I have seen some groups of Freemasons. I I know some people who are Freemasons, and they didn't have a clue. It was just a men's club to them. But then there are other guys that actually have used Freemasonry as this good old boy club, and it did bring about corruption because in the gathering together, they were given power you know they all had good jobs they all had good positions in the community and they were this secret club <laughs> and they could do things to people you know just you know, not not you know not mafioso type stuff but uh, they had this power in the facet of their gathering you know they gathered together like many sticks and that gave them strength and they sense that power. I, see, I mean, You go back to the soldier who was drafted and they're marching in cadence. You got a hundred soldiers marching in cadence and the, there's somebody singing and they're all singing together. You know, they say that in the army and everybody's saying this together. It's a sense of power. And see, that's what they're doing is they're giving you back, they take away your power. Take away your clothes. Take away all the things that give you identity, your hair, everything. So you all look alike. And now they give you a little power back, but they give it to you on their terms. And they're gaining control over you. They've lobotomized you, and now they're retraining your thinking. So, the, and, and this is in almost every relationship you have. I mean, you're born into this world absolutely helpless. You can't earn a living. (laughs) You you can't go out and garden. You can't even cold your bladder, for God's sake. (laughs) You don't have any teeth. You have to depend on everybody else for everything. You have very little or no power except to scream. (laughs) And your parents begin to train you. Even if your parents, they, they don't even think about it. But what if your parents have already been influenced by somebody else? They've already been trained to think a certain way, to act a certain way. The fact is is this whole thing of getting married and having children is designed by God to bring you face to face with what you're missing, (laughs) What what you have lost, to bring you back to the awareness of what you should be as a man and as a woman. It's designed to do that, but it's not necessarily going to happen because the world is designed to get control of you, get control of your thinking. That's why you have all these preachers out there. And you put them up on pedestals. You give them power, which causes them to become corrupt and teach you falsehoods. I've told this story many times that when I first went out uh, to... um, speak to people. People were inviting me to come and speak because they were seeing my books and had all this information and I seemed to be so, quote, unquote, smart. (laughs) And I would go to these meetings and I would become literally ill. And I couldn't figure out what it was. What it was was they were putting me up on a pedestal. They wanted to listen to the guru. I didn't want that. I didn't know that's what was going on, but that's that's what they were doing. I didn't want power over them. That was just in me from the beginning, way back as a child. You know, that by God's grace only. But that was the devil coming to tempt me to give me power over others, but it was it was the devil and them. <laughs> they were trying to give me power over them. But of course, They had a sense of power because they were putting me up on the pedestal. Same as that woman who puts her boyfriend up on a pedestal and gives him a sense of power which actually turns him into a sociopath and then she can't figure out why he's become such a jerk because she doesn't understand her part in his trauma. And I'm not going to blame him entirely. (laughs) on a woman, but the reality is is this is a mutual uh, corruption of your relationships because your relationships are not based on real love. They're based on what you can get, what you want, what you desire. You have to be seeking righteousness in your relationships. And that includes your relationships with governments and with employers and with everything else, with money. You have to be seeking righteousness. So, what does that look like? Well, we'll be back. We'll talk that. <laughs> be right back.
1: You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.
0: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, so we're talking about power. Uh, We're talking about the foolish power, and we're talking about wise power. God gives us power gives us the power to choose, power to make choices. And uh, he gives us a place in which to do it. And he gives us dominion over that place and over the th- some of the things in that place. And uh, he gives us a right to choose. Now, we can eat of the tree of life, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God and follow the wisdom of God, or we can decide to decide for ourselves. We can choose to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. Those are the two trees. We can use God as the source of our guidance, or we can choose to create ourselves as God and decide for ourselves what is good, what is evil. And that's a choice that we have. Once we make that choice, Many of the other things that we do in life that we think are choices are not choices anymore. And the world is making, you know, all these gods of the world, these gods, many, want to make choices for us. They want to do what's good for us. And there was a governor of New York who, you know, I mean, he, he got into all kinds of trouble. I mean, he, he ran on a ticket to do away with the corruption and then he was caught, I guess, call girls and everything else. And uh, uh, but he wanted to take choices away from the people who elected him, including what they could eat. Even though he himself didn't seem to have much control over what he ate. <laughs> so I mean, it's just bizarre. Uh, but the fact is, is we can we can focus on the bizarreness of the rest of the world. It's kind of like. Uh, uh, you know the new uh, you know models that come out with the new uh, chic wear or whatever that they, they have these models who are unnaturally skinny coming out wearing clothes that are absolutely ridiculous and bizarre and uh, almost traumatic in their appearance and this is these fashion shows that people go and watch. And then the newspaper puts them up, you know, and everything. And people see those. But now, the average person, nobody's going to buy any of those things. I mean, there's some people out there rich who go out and buy them. And they, but they'll buy them like people buy Picassos. You know, Picasso was a great painter. But all his cubism and all that stuff, that's a joke. It's ridiculous. But they they don't understand that. Oh, they, they think they've got it all figured out. You know, and so they, oh yeah, this is, but you see his early paintings, he was an amazing artist. But the rest of his stuff is just ridiculous. And it's led the art world down a bizarre road. (laughs) Well, those things are so extreme you can see those, but what about you in your day-to-day life? Your day-to-day relationships with your husband, your wife, your children? your friends, your family. What about that relationship? Is that being led down this road and that road? Not so bizarre necessarily, but off track, off base, or mixed up, causing you frustration and anxiety. Are you suffering from brain trauma? I tell you, if you've dated, you're suffering from brain trauma. But you might survive it, but you're suffering from it. You're you're having trouble with it, and it affects you, and it affects your ability to even see things clearly, which is what that study was coming out and, and saying, that your perception, your impulsiveness was increasing, your perceptionness, and your ability to uh, discern things was affected. Well, on a grand scale, okay. But what about in your life, not so grand, just every day? You know, what job you take, what car you buy, you know, the choices you make are affected by the trauma of power given to you by other people. And that's why I tried to give you examples, you know, like when you're drafted into the army, they take away your power and then they start giving it back to you a little at a time. And they they keep you off balance, which is not much different than dating. <laughs> it's the same same kind of thing you know they they give you power and then it changes the way you think, the way you see things, the way you understand things, the way you perceive things. So what are some of the other traumas that that are sources of trauma? other sources of power. Knowledge is power. So if someone were to give you knowledge of how things work, not everything, but some things work. You know, I, I, I've I told this story. I had a great-great-uncle who worked for the Queen of England, and he was from Germany, but he went to South Africa, and he ended up, even lived in Canada, and was an honorary member of the Canadian Mounted Police, and he traveled all over the world. I mean, he taught Pancho Villa's guys how to shoot machine guns. But there was a story where he was beheaded in the Tower of London because he had given some information to the enemy, and he was tried for this and beheaded. Uh, I'm getting signals here. Oh, I I see. We're okay. Uh, uh, The... uh, the the fact is is that he wasn't beheaded in the Tower of London. That he had given information which the enemy thought was a, 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 a was true, but it was false. But he gave it to them to mislead them. He gave them power, information to mislead them, so they would make certain choices in a certain way. He was actually working for the Queen, and they faked his trial and faked his beheading, <laughs> later on, he told, I have a picture of him holding up a newspaper talking about his beheading <laughs> in the Tower of London, and it was all fake news. And they did this to make them think they had the right knowledge, and think that they had the power to make a good choice. That's done every day in your life. It's a distraction. It's false information. But some of the information was true because they have to put a certain amount of truth into it so that it's believable. But it's not all true. This is why you're addicted to modern religion, which is fake religion. It's not real religion. Religion is how you take care of the needy of your society, and pure religion is to do it unspotted from the world. You think religion is what you think about God. No, it's not. It never was. It's become that because they altered the definition of the word religion. And we can show you how they've done this just 200 years ago. The definition of religion was this pious uh, performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Well, you, you can't do anything for God. God doesn't need any. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your money. You know, He doesn't need free bread or He doesn't need clothing. God's not naked. So, what does God need? He needs you to learn to love your neighbor as yourself. He needs you to take care of the earth, dress it and keep it. And He needs you to do that so that you learn love. But as soon as somebody gives you power, it's not about love anymore. It's about you. They cut you off from the tree of life. I mean, that's what what was Satan doing in the garden? This serpent snake, you know. He was empowering Adam and Eve. Oh, you eat of this, you'll have the power of God. You'll be like God. You'll have power. He's tempting them with power. you got to have to not want power. That's what giving up. When you give to somebody, give to a charity, give to the church, you're giving up what you had power over, some money, some stuff, some sheep, or whatever you give. You're giving it. You're giving the power to those things up. You still have the power of choice. You don't give that up. In the world, you give that up. You give up your power of choice. But in the kingdom of God, you keep your power of choice, but you give up some of your stuff in the form of service or money or sheep or whatever. That's what the altars were all about. And we just did a study, every Tuesday we do a study, on how the real free church operates. And we try to show you. And But we want to put it down into real terms. So anyway, I got a letter uh, to a second party uh, where a guy is writing and talking about, you know, uh, he says, Gregory says, We don't want to focus on blaming the Illuminati, the Rosicrucians, the Freemasons, etc. I mean, you can go through a whole list of Jews, all kinds of different people. But And I'm saying you don't want to focus on that. And he's right. I say you don't want to focus on that. But he says, but I have spent so much time learning about them, their plans and activities, their special hidden messages, their symbols, their signs, their teachings, others, how to notice those signs that now it is impossible to shut it off? he's been traumatized by information now much of the information he has may be true. I'm not saying it's not true, but that information was power uh, you know whatever was true was but even the appearance of power, you know like the the truth that my great uncle gave the enemy they thought was power and some of it was true but some of it was false but it it caused them to go in the wrong direction why the Queen was going in this other direction <laughs> well this is what happens is they will give you information they will create their own conspiracy I mean like you you see the different the parallax view in the different shows which I hate these shows because everybody loses in them but they uh, How I Spent My Summer Vacation that's an invisible movie it just kind of disappeared but uh, it was with Robert Wagner and it was probably a little bit too close to the truth I'd love to see it again I saw it many many years ago when I was a kid but uh, where they began to understand really what was going on behind the scenes Uh, I mean it's a theme of many movies the international all kinds of different movies well what is really going on, what is really happening and they give you some stuff. They create their own conspiracies, they create their own and, and they allow you to get that evil. Well, let's go down to the very basic Satan, Satan is the adversary of God, anybody who is an adversary of the ways of God is Satan or a part of Satan's minions. And, but it's trauma, it's information which is power. It, but it traumatizes you and disconnects you from the real solution because you go chasing after that. You know, it's the the dog squirrel, and his attention is over here. It's not the solution. It's, it's getting you to focus on the problem or a part of the problem, but you're not focusing on the solution. And he says, it is frustrating to see it everywhere and to know that others don't. Yes, it can be frustrating. Because you're looking in the wrong direction. You need to look in the right direction. And he appears to start have started looking in the right direction. He started turning around. Not that some of the things he was studying isn't true, I'm not arguing with that. I'm just saying that the solution is actually over here, but they've got him distracted looking over here. He says People at work and friends and family have no idea what they are being complicit with. I used to be angry with it, this situation, and resentful. Well, I will I will challenge it, and, and I think that's great, he, where he's looking at that anger and resentment in past tense. I'm saying some of that anger and resentment is still residual in the process of his thinking. He hasn't completely healed yet. And, of course, I mean, his letter is telling me that he hasn't completely healed. But there has been change, which is good. This is, the turning around is not an instantaneous thing. Now you have to focus on the solution. Put the same kind of energy into the solution. Now know this. Many people are tempted into the system. They go into the system. They become a part of the system, a part of this covetous practice. But really, some of them really aren't covetous. They don't they don't really join the system because they want to take away from their neighbor, because they want to buy they want to make their own way. But they are seduced into this system and they become a part of it. Co conspirators in a way, although they consciously are not conspiring, they've been traumatized and seduced into this. God can change all that in the twinkling of an eye. And many of these people, because of the way in which they are operating in the system, like the Roman centurion, when the time comes, they will have a place in the kingdom. While other people who think they are religious and devout and got the answers, they will be excluded. And Christ gives you the criteria of what will bring them into the kingdom and what will exclude them. Because you fed me when I was hungry, when you clothed me when I was naked, because you loved me. And they say, when did we do these things? When you did them to the least of my brethren. And what are you doing when you're doing these things to the least of your brother, his brethren? You're giving up power. You're see. You see these people getting power over every aspect of our lives, and you focus on them. The solution is not to resist them, but to resist their desire for power. And, and, you know, I could tell you the story of Billy Budden. I might even look into that a little bit, but I don't think we'll get to it in this show. But Matthew seven one says, Judge not. That you be not judged. You think taking the power away from the Illuminati will spare the people? No. It's when the people become aligned with Christ who laid down his life, who gave up power, that you become protected. If you judge the Illuminati, hate the Illuminati, and I'm using the Illuminati, uh, but it could be, you know fill in the blank, <laughs> you know, whatever, the conspirers of the world, you are being drawn into their very practices. Leave judgment to God. God is in control. You need to focus on what Christ said to focus on, which is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which requires forgiveness, sacrifice, love for others. Actively loving for others, not emotional, sit-in-the-pew love, but real active love for others. Luke six thirty seven. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Now, you can't absolve the Illuminati of their sins, but you leave that to God. You focus on being a blessing to others, to being fruitful. To being righteous. Luke 12, 43. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, now he's telling you something here, pay attention, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth, is coming and shall begin to beat the ma- men servants and the maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunk or to fight the Illuminati or to fight the Jews because he thinks, God's not doing it, I've got to go fight them. No, go the other way. Become a servant of God. Let God fight for you. I mean, he wiped out the entire Egyptian army in a single of his breath. And that's what's going to happen. I mean, you want to be standing where the Lord finds you doing what he said to do, which was seeking the kingdom of God in his righteousness. It's fine if you understand these other things that are going on, but don't let the power of that knowledge traumatize you. Receive the power of Christ. Follow him. Follow his way gather together with the intent of caring about other people. And you will not only heal your own trauma, your own obsession, but you will extend that healing nature to others. Meanwhile, you know, you cannot enlighten people. You cannot wake them up. You don't have the power. That's why I say you never attack the delusion. I, I do attack the delusion, that's part of my job. But I'm not attacking them. I understand that they're deluded. I I deal with people all the time that don't get it. They're absolutely oblivious. (laughs) But I'm trying to talk to the very soul, that spark of life, that yaw that's still within their heart, to awaken them to the way of Christ, which is this way of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is coming together to take care of one another, forgive one another, be there for one another. You're not going to do that very well at first. You're going to actually, you know, there are some people who are infatuated with doing charitable things for other people. They want to do, and they get a good feeling from that, doing things for other people. But sometimes the kindest thing you can do for other people is nothing. Sometimes. I'm not saying do nothing. I'm saying you need to be guided in your giving by the Holy Spirit. You cannot imagine that you know who to give to and who not to give to because that's the knowledge of the good and evil. Whenever anybody asks you for anything or you see a need for anything, you have to ask God in your heart, in the stillness of your heart, not in your imagination, but in the stillness of your soul. God, should I help this person? Should I give to this person? Or maybe I should wait and give to somebody else that I haven't yet met. You don't just give for the sake of giving, although that may be a start for some people, but ultimately you want to give righteously because you want to seek the kingdom of God, which is, uh, operates according to the perfect law of liberty, by faith, hope, and charity, but you want to do it in a righteous way it's absolutely essential that you do it in a righteous way and how do you know righteousness got to eat it, the tree of life but if you're full of knowledge from eating from the tree of knowledge then what you don't have any more room for the tree of life you see by seeing the evil that other men are doing you know whatever group it is that you imagine that these are the cause of all the evils in the world or money is the cause of all the evil in the world. No, that's a distraction. That's keeping you from where you really need to focus and it it makes you obsessive. It it takes over your mind. So you're constantly seeing it and returning to this uh, vision of judgment or you're judging Many of those people, and this is how God works, many of those people that are in these systems, they may suddenly awake like the Roman centurion. And evil can't do anything about it, although they try heartily to do something about it. If you start waking up, this is why I tell people not to run out and tell everybody what you're beginning to realize when you start waking up. You know, because that's like being in a junkyard. (laughs) And you tip over a bunch of hubcaps, and you wake up the junk junkyard dog. I tell stories about that, where your observation—you know—I was in a courtroom and the judge yelled at a woman. He was going from person to person. There were a lot of people named in this court case, and uh, and he went to this one woman, and she started to it's very nice, polite, very timid woman, a very kind woman. Very concerned woman. She stood up. She wasn't a criminal or anything like this. And she wanted to say something. And he just yelled at her, screamed at her, visibly shook her. And I was incensed by his cruelty. But my judgment of him took me out of the protection of the Holy Spirit. I sensed it at that moment and I also noticed that all the policemen, <laughs> plainclothes policemen in the courtroom, which there were a lot of, noticed me. They actually looked at me. I didn't get up. I didn't say anything. I was sitting way off over to the side, you know, with my old pencil and hand and and paper. and But I was just, this was just outrageous yelling at this woman like this uh, just, and it was like a bulldog all of a sudden. And uh, it angered me. And that's what happens when you see all this evil going on in the world and and these skulky guys behind the scenes manipulating things. You get angry at that and you judge that. That draws you into their realm. It traumatizes you because you want to exercise power. You want to set that guy straight. Let God exercise power. You just be a servant of God. So what, do you, what should you be doing? The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. But you don't have to do it. You have to trust that God will do it. You have to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Let that occupy your mind, and it will bring healing. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. You don't have to do it. He will actually do it to himself. He will create, he will weave his own whip like Marley's change. You don't have to do it. You're not God. Don't seek the power to do it. Oh, if I had the power, I would show him what for. No. You don't want the power. You don't want the control. We laughed about that on the, the last program on living altars that we did. We don't, And we, did, we didn't even explain it. I kind of explained it a little bit in the recording, but uh, we don't want power over you. Those are the church, those who are really seeking to do the will of the Father. We don't want power over you. We don't want the power to judge you by nature. We may be outspoken. We may tell you truths that you don't want to hear. We may make you uncomfortable at times, but we don't want power over you. Sometimes you have to, you know, get their attention a little bit. The father shall be divided against son and the son against father. That's what he goes on to say. And mother against daughter and daughter against mother. And the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And the daughter-in-law against her mother. It just goes on and on. It's division. Jesus came to bring division. But you want to be divided on the side of a righteousness. You don't want to be focused on the unrighteous. They're there, but they can be changed, too, by the grace of God. We'll be back. Welcome back So before Jesus talked about being divided, you know, dividing mother from daughter and, and father from son, in other words, opinions, they will go this way and not that way. They, they have that right to choose, and we have to give them that right to choose, allow them that right to choose. It doesn't mean we can't tell them that they're idiots. <laughs> we can. We should do it lovingly, though, not with impatience, not with anger, not with resentment. And there are many subtle ways to show people that they're in error without actually saying you're wrong. You know, that attacking the delusion. Like I say, I attack the delusion all the time, but I'm this voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord in order to make that hit home. Sometimes I have to show them how crooked their way is. And it isn't the Illuminati and, and all these other groups that are causing the problem. It's our own covetous practices that are bringing not only our bodies into bondage, but our minds into bondage. So that we cannot see, because that that desire, that power to take benefits from others. You know, I don't have to go to their house. I don't have to knock in their door. Somebody else will do that. But I get this freebie. I have the power to get freebies from the king. And I have to do very little to get them. Just apply for them. And I can get them. Just sell my soul. And I can get them. (laughs) But if I choose not to then I'm enduring another baptism. And that's what Jesus is talking about before he talks about that division. I'm doing this a little out of order. I like to read everything in context, but sometimes you mix up the order a little bit so that people can see how we get to that point where we're dividing everybody. He says, I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it be already kindled? Okay. To love your enemy is to put hot coals upon him. There's the fire. To operate with love will do more to bring down the enemy, because it's a fire that actually burns the enemy, you know, when you pay your taxes into the system. If you could actually do it with love, with that physical object will go power that will spread that you have no control over because you've given the power to God. Jesus says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Make straight the way of the Lord. How can you make straight the way of the Lord until you receive the baptism that you must receive? Christ had to go and be crucified you don't necessarily have to be crucified, but you have to pick up your cross. And, and in a way, spiritually be crucified. And so you suffer. You see people following the lie. And this brings pain, like nails driven into you. That's part of your crucifixion. But you have to remain faithful and not overcome by the temptation of Satan to exercise power over others. You have to trust that God's power must enter into them and you must allow that. And your love can actually become a protection for them. A covering for them. But you cannot force others to see what you see. And the fact that evil has allowed you to see things sometimes, this is the with the process is simply a temptation to exercise authority over others, force others to operate like they do. You have to operate like Christ did. Suppose to you that I have come to give peace on earth, I tell you, nay, but rather division. And he says, henceforth, house will be divided against house. So, when the fellow writes me and says I want nothing to do with it, that world, that world of evil, that world of control, that world of manipulation, that world of sin that's good that you want nothing to do with it. But how do you get to the point where you can function without having anything to do with it? Certainly not by emulating it, but by emulating Christ who came to lay down his life for others, which means to sacrifice for others, to give to others, to provide for others in a way that strengthens them, not in the way of Sodom and Gomorrah, not in the way the world does. The world will provide all kinds of things for others, but they weaken the poor. They turn the black community into a place where most of the children are raised by two parents, to a place where most of the children are not raised by two parents. They go from 1.5% born out of wedlock to 70% born out of wedlock. They break down the family. They destroy the community. We have to have a different kind of charity that strengthens the community. Not a voluntary charity, not a forced charity like welfare, which is not charity at all. forced charity, that's an oxymoron. It's not charity anymore. He says that uh, he sees all these people marching like zombies to this, the the orders of those that are evil and and mean them evil intent. And, and this is frustrating. But faith in God will help relieve that frustration. But faith comes by grace and grace comes by seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you have to Lay down. Every time you lay down your power, where you give as righteously as you can figure, and that that's a constant, ongoing struggle. You are released. He says, "I can barely function anymore." You, that functioning will come back as you practice forgiveness. You've practiced this, covetous practices, your parents before you. Now you must practice the reverse of covetous practices, which is charity. Righteous charity. Not just give away for give away's sake, but righteousness of God. And then that ability to function will come back and peace will come back. And I'm not saying it's not going to be a struggle, but I encourage you to seek that struggle. That's why we form this network of congregations. It's not because we are congregating saints. We are congregating people who are not saints but that's who you want to congregate with because then you can overcome. The sins of the Father are visited upon the sons and seven sons for generations. This is the way it works. And when you come into a congregation, your neighbor has sons, and his sons, those sinning sons, and the proclivity towards those sins will be in your congregation. In order to help those people overcome that proclivity to sin in that fashion, you have to see it. You have to become more empathetic. What does the brain trauma of power do? Takes away and the professor said empathy. What does coming together for the purposes of pure religion, to take care of one another through faith, open and charity and the perfect law of liberty? That brings back empathy, allows empathy to be Reestablish that empathy will not come if you are judgmental. If you, uh, you know, if you want to judge like the, like the the rulers of the world, you you have to come and forgive. See, forgiving is you know allowing people to have power over their own choices and they make wrong choices and you have to forgive them and give them power over their next choice. You don't have to, you know, if you see somebody sinning, you don't have to support their sin. As a matter of fact, you should not support their sin. But if you see people seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, gathering together to help one another, those people you can bless. Now who are they? you need the Holy Spirit to know who's who. Who to give to and who not to give to. And a lot of people think they have the Holy Spirit. You know, we're all moved by one Spirit or another, but it isn't always the Holy Spirit. He says, especially when the threat, though ever-present, is always seemingly down the road. Yes, it's down the road. Uh He says, uh, he he talks about uh, walking away. But how can I leave everything I have for a life I know nothing about? I don't believe you should leave everything. I believe that you should leave judgment. You should seek righteousness. You should continue in the responsibilities that you have to your family and to your friends. But do it trusting in God. This is the thing. is this Don't trust in the knowledge that you've been given because that knowledge is power. Trust in the power of God, that God can work behind the scenes in the hearts and minds of people. And what brings that power of God into play is the virtue of Christ. And what did Christ do? He did not come to rule over other people, explain everything to everybody, but to serve. What? does the Illuminati come to do? Do they come to serve? They come to serve themselves. You come to serve others. This puts you on the other side of the equation. It puts you on another path. And how straight that path is, how perfect you can follow that path, that's the walk you need to walk. And that's a struggle. That's a striving. And best to do it together with others who are seeking to walk that same walk. And I, I tell you that exponentially you will see things reverse about. it, uh, You do not fish. You know, God does not fish with fear, but with good bait. And so therefore you want to be this righteous person who comes to serve. And that's how you will gather with others in this desire to serve. And he said unto the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, straight away, you say, hey, there cometh a shower. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be heat. And it cometh to pass. And then he says, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and the earth. How is it that ye do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourself judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judges, and the judge deliver thee until every, you know, until you lose everything. Now people are struggling against the evil. Let God take out the Egyptians. You learn to fill each other's water vases. You learn to glean in the field at night for your own benefits, but also do so for the benefit of others, to take care of others. It sets you on a different road. It sets you on a different path. It brings a different flow of energy through you. If you operate like them and fight against them on their terms, It will drag you into their world. You will become a tyrant. And I I don't know, there's hundreds of stories in literature that show how somebody with the best of intentions, fighting against the evil of capitalism or whatever it is, you know, like in Dr. Zhivago, they become the murderous fiend that they hated, worse than the czars. I mean, Che Guevara. All these guys, they all went that way because they're fighting against evil with evil means. Christ is showing you, fight this way, and I will take the Egyptians out. And many of the Egyptians will follow in the ways of Christ. They've left with the Israelites. They said, I want to do this. And you have no control. It's not your knowledge is not going to save them. The knowledge of the world is not going to save them. It's not going to turn them around. It's the knowledge of God, knowing God, and you can't know God unless you walk in the ways of Christ. Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the righteousness of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. This this is the solution. He's telling you, don't be a zombie. Go that way. That Christ said to go. Jude one four. For there are certain men who crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Denying only the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to provide for our families. How best to do that? Stay with them. Influence where possible the acts as salt and light. Not abandoning them would be high on the list, but if you went uh, to someplace far off, that would that would not happen you would not be taking care of your family you'd not be taking god has put you where you are god has put me where i am there's a plan and the plan of christ is the solution we need to follow that solution uh he he goes on to say in his letter l- l- letter that uh, he says one difference now is I can muster the the fake passion for my work and use to get me through the day. Use it to get me through the day. I think mostly because I see that my work is helping the beast system. That's he says I feel stuck. Your work doesn't really help the beast system. If you you those who begin to wake up seek the kingdom of God, whatever they're working, whatever their job is, they begin to poison the beast. And I tell you this uh, because it's the spirit of God that is not Satan. It is the spirit of coming to serve, to do what is right, to seek what is right, to know what is right, to be still, to be still in your own judgment that will begin to awaken you. And you will become toxic to the beast and the beast will spit you out, just like the Israelites were spit out of Egypt. Why? Because they began to take care of one another. Can you imagine if we had a million people across the planet that were actually taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, contributing, sharing everything they have, everything they have extra, investing in the kingdom of God through a network of charity, that is based on intimate relationships and in tens, hundreds, and thousands. Can you imagine what the beast would do if you... They don't believe it's possible. People don't believe it's possible. And so they do not do anything. They think they have the solution already. We're going to fight against this, or we're going to become a democracy, or we're going to become a social democracy, or whatever. These are not solutions. The solution is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And the way that operates is through a network of people who are learning to care about one another and to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Which means that they are seeking to lay down their life for their fellow man in the most fruitful way possible, to strengthen the poor. Matthew sixteen nineteen, and I will... Give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now this is what the, kingdom, the keys are. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. If you want power over your neighbor, if you want to control their thinking, if you want them to think in a particular way and force them to think in that way, then somebody will force your thinking. Somebody will control you. But if you want to set your neighbor free, if you want to provide for your neighbor so that he doesn't have to go to the benefactors who exercise authority or eat at the table of rulers who serve deceitful meats, if you want to set the table of the Lord, you will be set free because you want to set others free from the need to go to these... Nimrods of the world, the Caesars of the world. You want to set them free from that. So you're setting the table of the Lord so they have an alternative. But if you don't do that, then you will not be free. The slothful will remain under tribute. They will remain under control. You have to come like Christ who came that you others might be saved. That's coming in the name of Christ. I've got somebody who was telling me, oh, no, no, I, I would join your group, but uh, I want to be free now, and I want to save my stuff now, and I want to get uh, involved in, you know, uh, independent or whatever, they, you know, pure trust or whatever, so that my I can be out of the system and I will save my stuff. That's not the Spirit of Christ. Christ didn't come to save his stuff. He was rich, and he made himself poor so that he could become the high priest of the kingdom. He would become a Levite because his cousin was a Levite. And he was baptized by his cousin to follow after his cousin. But then his cousin found out, wait a minute, you're not just going to be this high priest that has moved the laver to the Jordan. You're going to be the actual king and high priest. Is that true, Jesus? He sends guys to find out. And then... Jesus doesn't even tell them. And Jesus is fond of not telling people things and let them figure it out. I'm getting fond of that. <laughs> so, There's a lot of things I'm not going to tell you too, which I already said. Luke twelve thirty one, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. I don't know how many times you need to read that, but it was in the Bible more than once. We cannot bend, build, win this battle with our own power. But the question is, how do you get the power of God on your side? Well, you don't get the power of God on your side. You get on the side of God. He's That's where the power is. You have to get closer to Him. You have to, you know, get behind His cloak, His shirt tails, and say, I'm with you, Lord. And then, as a faithful servant, he'll find you doing, and then he will provide the power. Not to you, but the power to do what needs to be done. And some of what needs to be done is the awakening of other people. I cannot wake you up. I cannot wake up anybody. I'm just bearing witness because that's what God has given me. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by the Father which is in heaven. But that's not just a mental agreement. That's an agreement deep down in your heart and in your soul. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Gathered together in his name means that you have two or three people who are gathered together to serve others, to set others free, not to defeat the Illuminati. God will defeat the Illuminati. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, till even seven times. So... You're in a congregation and somebody does something that offends you. Then you leave the congregation. You abandon the entire network. Oh, somebody offended me. I'm leaving. I'm picking up my toys and I'm going to go off and do my own thing. That's not the instructions that I'm reading here. You know, I mean, you can't do that with your kids. You got a kid and he does something wrong, and so you take him out and put him on the street by the garbage and say, okay, your garbage man will pick him up because he didn't do what I said. He didn't do what I wanted. That's not the, I mean, if if God thought that way, you'd all be toast. (laughs) You've all done contrary to what God wants. But yet you think you can abandon the network of people who are coming together that you you've come to commit to. See, we don't make you take an oath. you can leave, you're free to go, but what's driving you away? It's your unforgiveness. that's why you're leaving' you're not you you're not forgiving one another. Jesus saith unto him, I say unto thee until thee until thee seven times, but until seventy times seven. So, anyway, till you learn to forgive and give, may peace be upon your house. God bless.